right, we are back for another great episode of Black Equity Podcast, and I think we have another great episode for you. I know the topic is something I've wanted to talk about for quite some time, uh, but I didn't necessarily have the right person to have the conversation with until today. Joining us on today's episode is the CEO of Athletes and Cannabis, Gerald Moore Jr. Welcome to Black Equity Podcast. Thank you for having me, man. Love the podcast. I love the energy. Love what you're building. You you actually, I remember when we first started, you were one of the first people to even give us a shout out, even pay attention to us on Instagram. That's like two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And I know we've been going back and forth trying to figure out a, the best time to have this conversation. So I want to say thank you for your support because you've been kind of rocking with us since day one. So I want to yeah. say thank you for that. Yeah, no problem, man. I, I think for those that's, who don't, that's what we need in our community, man. For those who don't know who you are, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your company. Yeah, so uh, like you said, my name is Gerald Moore Jr. Uh, originally born in upstate New York, Rochester, New York. Raised in Prince George's County, Maryland, uh, PG County, uh, suburb of Washington, D.C., I went to St. John's College High School, uh, where I was a two-sport athlete, football and basketball. Uh, Ended up uh, securing a Division I scholarship to Ohio University, uh, where I became an All-American, two-time bowl champion, captain, mentor, uh, unity council member. And then I ended up trying out for the Oakland Raiders in 2013. Uh, After trying out for the Raiders, getting cut, I decided to hang up the cleats uh, and move into the business realm. Uh, and entrepreneurship. Uh, and so uh, that was what, 2013. And so I worked a lot of different jobs. I had never really worked outside of sports. Uh, so like one of my first corporate jobs was with, was with Verizon Wireless doing sales. Um, and so I got that experience and then I realized, man, I'm much smarter than most of my bosses and managers and stuff like that. So it was like, I need to go do my own thing. Uh, so I started my first company, G13 LLC. Uh, back in 2016, and that's kind of just, you know, an umbrella company, and I just, uh, I train kids, uh, young adults, uh, and senior citizens, uh, private coaching and training, sports performance, uh, health and wellness, and stuff like that, uh, and then I got, uh, when cannabis became legal in Ohio, uh, that's when I decided to create Athletes in Cannabis, so that was a couple years ago, uh, we've been legal in Ohio for about a year and some change now. Um, so that was really the driving force. Um, I've been a cannabis consumer since I was about 16. Uh, in the closet, though, you know, not talking about it, you know, not really like nobody knew that I was smoking. Um, and so that's really how it all came about, you know, playing sports, you know, you, you deal with a lot of injuries, a lot of pain, a lot of, you know, strains and different things like that ups and downs, right, ebbs ebbs and flows because of uh, just the highs and lows of sports, winning and losing uh, and all of that. And so I I realized that cannabis really helped me balance out, you know, myself. Uh, And so that was one of the things that I was like, you know, everybody's telling me this is a bad thing, um, but while I'm using it, it's really helping me. And so I really just wanted to share my story, share other athletes' stories, Uh, about how they consume cannabis, why they consume cannabis, uh, but also create a platform to help educate and kind of bridge that gap uh, of, you know, just the average maybe fan uh, to connect them to some of these athletes and why the deeper meaning behind why they're consuming. I can already tell this is going to be a wonderful conversation for us to dive into. I definitely want to uh, look at the conversation and the relationship between athlete and cannabis and really dive into that but before we do that you mentioned pg county i recently Mm -hmm. watched a documentary uh on showtime i think it was i think it was called pg if i'm not mistaken the one in the water yes yes um if you could just tell us just a little bit about the importance of pg county and the impact it actually has on sports for those who don't know or professional sports Yeah, I mean, PG County, I was blessed to, you know, grow up there uh, from what about the age seven through high school. And so that that documentary actually was done by one of my good friends, 
Jimmy Jenkins, who I grew up with, played ball with, Quinn Cook, who's also an executive director, my buddy, um, my best friend, Corey Neal, Kevin Durant, uh, all of these guys come from the same community. And so, you know, Prince George's County is one of the top 10 wealthiest black suburbs in America. You know, so growing up in a community like that, you see uh, black success and not just in sports, you see it, you know, my mom's a lawyer who's worked for, you know, the government for most of my life. My dad's worked for the government most of my life, uh, federal government at that. Uh, so you see, you know, friends whose parents are entrepreneurs, um, executives, judges, you name it. Uh, so kind of living in that environment, you have no choice but to kind of feel like you're going to be successful. Uh, but then playing sports, you're around all these kids that whose parents understand, you know, the power of sports and helping kids get to the next level, you know. So you're competing very early on. Like I would say in, uh, you know, Little League, you know, I played for Kettering Largo, Mitchellville, which is the, the center of PG County, all Black um, boys and girls club team. So all my friends, I, I think my like third grade basketball team, I want to say like half of us went D1, uh, whether it was football or basketball. And so, you know, the sports thing, sports is huge just in general. Uh, but when you're around so many successful black people and parents have money to get their kids trained, uh, kids, people have their mo uh, money to get their kids in AAU, uh, you just see kind of that thing take off. And so, you know, I was able to play against Kevin Durant when I was a kid. I played against uh, with Clint Cook, who was a couple years younger than me. We went to the same uh, elementary and middle school, mm -hmm. you know, two-time NBA champion. Uh, so a lot of these kids are coming from this small, and I want to say maybe 10, 15 square miles, you know. So it's just a hotbed for athletes, football and basketball. Um, and then you're, you're right next to the nation's capital. You know, it's a 10 minute drive into Washington, D.C. So, you know, you'll hear people call it the DMV. Uh, and so really, it just gives you that kind of motivation uh, to, to be successful, you know, and I wasn't I was like in the middle of the pack. Like I was one of the smaller kids growing up. I wasn't really big. I didn't have politics on my side. You know, my parents weren't born there. So I didn't have like a lot of those connections and relationships that, you know, some of these kids have because their grandparents were born there, you know, mom and dad born there. So I kind of came in on the backside, um, but it was just inspirational, really. You know, you're always around talented individuals and people that have goals, right? People that want to make it to Division One, people that want to make it to the league, people that want to be business owners and entrepreneurs and executives. And so, uh, you know, that really just kind of pushed me to be successful. Um, in sports and out of sports. Um, but yeah, the whole documentary was, you know, based on our community. And that's just, that's like the blood, that's like the lifeline of the community, really. You see a lot of professional athletes. Uh, you're right next to, uh, it used to be the Bullet Stadium. So I grew up right next to the Bullet Stadium. Uh, and then they built FedEx Field right next to that. So it's like when you grow up in those environments, you're seeing NBA players. Some of my friends' parents were NBA players. Um, and so you just get used to it. It's like the norm. Um, so that was probably one of the biggest, I would say, uh, the biggest differences between me and a lot of people is I was able to grow up in an environment like that, um, that inspired me to be great and see great um, and aspire to do those things. You know, you mentioned earlier in this episode that you were all American. I know yeah. right now, as people are listening to this episode, there's a popular TV show right now called All-American. Yeah. Uh, what was your experience going through that process? Is it something that you always dreamed of? And once you became an All-American, what did that really mean for uh, your status as far as people paying attention to you? What is that whole process for those who will never, you know, experience it? Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. You know, I never really thought I'd be an All-American, really. You know, I kind of just played sports as a means to an end, right? You know, we grow up in a lot of situations where, you know, how, how am I gonna be successful? Um, and I saw sports as a way of skipping levels or skipping steps, right? Because, you know, as a black man in America, yeah, you can get good grades and, but you're still gonna be in an environment where you're competing. And so, you know, I knew uh, sports could get me a D1 scholarship. Uh, and so that way my parents didn't have to pay for my schooling 
Uh, they didn't have to go into debt. I didn't have to go into debt. I knew they probably wouldn't be able to truly afford it because I had a, a few uh, younger siblings. I um, mean, my parents didn't really have help like that, you know, from grandparents and stuff. So for me, that was like my initial driving force to get a scholarship. Uh, and then I started training in like eighth grade with a private trainer, uh, Olympic lifting, learning how to power clean, some of those basic uh, movements that help with speed and power and explosiveness. Um, and it wasn't until uh, I redshirted my freshman year of college. Uh, and then uh, my redshirt freshman year, uh, I ended up having six interceptions. Um, got my first interception in my first ever game that I played. And then it kind of was just a snowball effect. And so, you know, after you get like three picks, everybody's like, yo, you're probably going to be an All-American. Like, really balling. Uh, and our team was doing well. And so I'm not thinking anything of it. It wasn't like, that wasn't one of my goals, really. It wasn't like something I had on the wall, like, yo, I'm going to be an All-American. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I was really just a leader. I was like, I want to help my team win. OU, Ohio University, most people think of Ohio State, right? Um, even though Ohio was the first university of the state founded in 1804, but nobody really hears about them because you're in Athens, Ohio, you're in, you know, uh, rural Ohio. Um, so for me, it was like, you know, I really didn't think about it until it happened. And I was like, oh, shit, like, this is crazy. You know, uh, I was top 10 uh, in the country out of all uh, positions, out of all DBs, um, freshman to senior and in interceptions. Uh, and so being named All-American was definitely, um, you know, something I, I could hang my hat on because, you know, I never pictured it happening. Um, but, you know, it came with a lot of hard work, came with the help of my teammates. You know, we had a really good defense that year. Um, and so I think our defense may have been like top five in turnovers that year. Um, and so it's really something that, you know, I just took advantage of my opportunities. You know, uh, a lot of people want to start. And I didn't start at first, you know, I had a couple older guys in front of me. So I got on special teams, you know, I was on kickoff, kickoff return, punt, punt return. So I could get a feel for the game, the speed of the game. Uh, and then once I started making plays there, then, you know, the defensive coach felt comfortable with putting me in the game. A guy got hurt. I got in the game and at the end of the day, never looked back. Uh, I was starting from there. Uh, so it's really just, you know, I was putting in the work. Uh, I did have goals of being successful. Um, like even the NFL wasn't a goal. Like once I made it, once I got the D1 scholarship, I was good. You know, I was like, <laughs> right. you know, I'm going to get my degree. I'm going I'm to have fun in school. I'm going to, you know, ball out. But it really wasn't like this is my end all be all. It was really just a springboard for me. Uh, and the All-American just came as a cherry on top for real. Now, earlier you mentioned that around 16 years old, you began consuming marijuana, uh, I guess, privately, where maybe people didn't necessarily know about it, but you started seeing some really great effects to it. Uh, I was never any type of athlete or anything like that, but I started uh, consuming marijuana around 15, 16 as well. Mm -hmm. And I saw benefits to it as well. Uh, For me, it was very calming. Mm -hmm. It was very relaxing and it allowed me to focus uh, I know most yeah. people may not say that, but for me, it allowed me because my mind's all over the place. And so for right. me, it would allow me to kind of just focus on one thing and examine it and study it and, and learn more about it. Why do you think back then, because we're around the same age, why do you think back then everybody was so against the very thing that would now become uh, a multi-billion dollar, if not more, uh, industry? Well, you know, I, I knew nothing about the history, let's just say that, of prohibition, uh, the war on drugs, you know, in terms of an educated viewpoint. You just hear what, you know, the adults are telling you, right? So most coaches are like, you know, don't smoke weed. Parents are like, don't smoke weed. Um, and so you're like, okay. Uh, and so for me, yeah, I felt I got that calming sensation. I got that relaxing sensation. I got that, you know, focus. Uh, but I think it's just, you know, it's the propaganda, man. It's the media. Um, and then I think for Black parents, it's that that uh, fear of, you know, being in trouble. It's that fear of your son getting arrested for minor, minor uh, weed possession 
and being locked away, you know, because that's yeah. what we see, you know, the war on drugs, you got guys that have been locked up for life for a joint, you know what I mean? And so really that stigma is what has created that sense of fear. Um, and so that's what I think the biggest thing was. But for me, like, like I said, going to private school, I was going to my, my school cost $16,000 a year uh, back then. I think it's up to like $22,000 um, now. But, you know, I'm going to school with rich white kids in D.C. And they partying, they drinking, they smoking, they doing all types of drugs. And nobody's pressuring them to do to not do it. You know what I mean? Like their parents, you know, are like, do it at home. You know, I'd rather you do it at home than. And so for me, I'm like, damn, my parents is scolding me for doing anything <laughs> right. you know, and telling me, well, you're different. You can't do the same things. And so, you know, obviously I have football on my mind, so I didn't want to jeopardize that. Um, but in the same token, it was just like, well, I'm smart enough to, to decipher what's really going on here. You know what I mean? I'm smart enough to know that, hey, well, I have friends that didn't even play sports and that's who I was consuming with. And so they didn't have the same, they couldn't lose as much as I was willing to lose. But at the same time, it was like, man, this is making me feel amazing. Uh, and so it, I had to make that decision at that point in time. Like, am I going to listen to, you know, my parents, coaches, teachers, whatever, or am I going to trust my natural instincts, trust what I'm seeing, experiencing? And so I really just began that trust process within myself. Um, you know, to, to say, hey, you know, because nobody's putting themselves through the ringer like you're putting yourself through the ringer as an athlete anyway. You know, uh, nobody's waking up at 6 a.m. to go train. Nobody's going to sleep at 10, 10 p.m. because you've been training and practicing all day and lifting weights, you know, starting as a teenager. Uh, but then everybody can tell you what to do with your body. Everybody can tell you what to put in your body. Um, how to feel about your body except for the athlete and so I just thought that was I was always kind of you know against the status quo anyway so that was kind of my thing um, you know it was just like I'm gonna have to learn the hard way I remember my dad came outside one day when I turned 18 I decided to go buy a, a black and mild right like mm -hmm. you know, any any kid that hits one of those ages and so one right. day before school I decided to leave a little bit early and go light it up before school and my dad comes out and, and see like you smoking and I'm like no nah, you're yeah, I threw the and so then my <laughs> best friend Corey comes and my dad's like Gerald been smoking yeah Corey like nah I ain't seen him smoke because I wasn't smoking with my football and my basketball teammates so they had no idea Right. Um, but it was just those, you know, those things and those, that stigma. Uh, and so I kept it low profile for the longest, um, probably until uh, a couple years ago, really. Um, and so that's just been the, you know, I think, you know, media. And that's why I started athletesandcannabis.com. Uh, my wife's a news anchor. Uh, and so I, under, I and then being a college athlete playing on ESPN and some of these big um, platforms, you realize that the media is the the main thing driving a lot of these things, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if we don't have access to the media or our stories are able to tell our own perspective, it's always from a viewpoint of somebody, you know, controlling the narrative that's not ours, you know, that's not, you know, black culture, you know, I grew up in the hood really. So I'm watching my aunt smoke weed, my uncle smoke weed, my cousin smoke weed. You know, uh, I just found out like last year that my granddad had weed plants in the basement. You know what I mean? So it was like information like that that nobody tells you. You know right. what I mean? And you got to find out on the back end. And so I'm like, yo, this joint's been a part of my DNA for forever. You know, and so it was really just trusting my instincts and um, being willing to uh, kind of take the heat and the backlash for being uh, kind of out there. Uh, and then I wanted to create space for you know, we have a lot of brothers and sisters that are locked up and nobody's speaking up for them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, whole time, like you said, the marijuana industry, I think sales just peaked at like 17 point something billion dollars of marijuana sales uh, in America. And so you got dispensaries, cultivators, processors, all types of people becoming millionaires uh, and billionaires off of a plant that we still are locking people up for present day. And uh, you know, I, I took it upon myself as an athlete, somebody that has a voice, somebody that had a platform to really just to start speaking out about it uh, and, and create that and, and end the stigma behind it.
When I first came across uh, your initiative, your company, my first thought was, wow, 10 years ago, maybe even sooner than that, we wouldn't have been able to put athletes and cannabis in the same sentence because right. all, all hell would break loose. They would mm -hmm. say, no, what are you doing? This is taboo. You're not allowed to. And now mm -hmm. we're reaching a place in society where, yeah, it makes sense. We got to have this conversation. Mm -hmm. What do you think happened over the last, let's just say 10, 15 years? I don't want to go too deep into history. What happened where there's this shift where now we can have the conversation openly amongst everyone? Um, I would say definitely probably millennials, uh, the internet, social media, um, and then just healthcare, uh, obviously wars. Uh, so you're seeing a lot more veterans um, that served in the army. Um, coming back with PTSD and all types of uh, things. But then it's like, well, I don't want to take opioids. Um, you're having athletes die from opioid abuse. Um, I have former teammates that have died because of opioid abuse um, and addiction. Um, and so I think a combination of all those things, it's just been a con, you know, like a cocktail bubbling up. And so, uh, and then obviously our government, like we need the money, you know, like America's basically failing and so but you know you're spending billions of dollars on a war on drugs to lock up people uh, already in disenfranchised communities um and then you know behind something that's not you know we're trying to treat an, an addiction that's not really an addiction like cannabis is not an addictive drug you know but we put all that information out there whether it's politics um and and government officials or, you know, just, you know, maybe alcohol companies or tobacco companies, you know, big business, big pharma, right? Big pharma doesn't want, you know, cannabis because, you know, I don't take any pills. All I do is use cannabis. But you would say, well, after 15 years of playing contact sports, having arthritis, you know, concussions, um, you know, PTSD from just living as a black man in society, cannabis is all I use, you know what I mean? And so I think it's a lot of those things and just more people uh, being willing to, uh, to, to step up and take the risk. States, you know, legalizing it uh, because they see the money in it, right? States need money. Um, so they're seeing the profitability. And so I think it's a lot of those things really, um, you know, taking into account, you know, that kind of shift in the last few years. Based off your experience and then the conversations you're having on your platform, how can we communicate to the audience, how is cannabis actually helping the athlete? Because there may be someone who's skeptical of saying that hey, there's no way. There's no right. way marijuana is actually helping. There's no way cannabis is helping. They're making all this stuff up. So right. based off your experience and the athletes you've been speaking with, how does it actually help the athlete? It helps in a plethora of ways, you know, when we talk about being an elite athlete is much more than just performing on the field, you know, that's a very small or the court, that's a very small portion of being a successful athlete, but that's all people really see. Right. Um, they only see, you know, the wins and losses on the field, but they don't see the training regimen. They don't see, you know, uh, getting treatment by doctors, by training staff, the massages, the hot, hot tub, cold tub, ice packs, you know, they're not seeing everything that it takes to maintain performance, right? Mm -hmm. To be in a, for like LeBron James, for instance, spends a million dollars a year just on maintaining his body, you know, right. whether that's a nutritionist, a chef, you know, massage, coach, trainers, all these different people. And so uh, from like myself, you know, players still deal with anxiety so you have a lot of players that have high stress levels. And that's one of the things I noticed too, is like, all right, you're seeing all these black successful athletes at division one universities and pro, but we know the average black person is coming from poverty. So, but nobody makes that connection. So you're still dealing with real life. You know, your parents can't come to games because they can't afford tickets to come to the game or plane tickets, or they don't have a, a, a good enough car to travel. Um, X, Y, and Z, all these different things. So cannabis helps with relieving stress, 
anxiety, uh, pain. Um, so like for myself, you know, usually after a game, like I really wouldn't smoke in season because, you know, you're usually getting drug tested and th stuff like that. So I would usually wait till spring, summer uh, to really consume heavily. Um, but a lot of, I mean, I had teammates that would consume the night before a game, right before we got on the bus to go to games. Um, and these are some of our best players, you know, some of our best offensive guys, um, some of our best defensive guys. And so, like you said earlier, focus, people don't understand cannabis is deemed as a performance enhancing drug. That's why it's illegal in sports because mm -hmm. it's a performance enhancer. You know what I mean? It's not, you know, if you drink alcohol before a football game, you're going to be hurt. You know what right. I mean? Where you smoke cannabis, again, you're going to be focused. You're going to be zoned in. You're going to be relaxed. So your body is less tense. So it allows you to perform at a much higher rate than somebody that's very tense, anxious, um, overthinking, overanalyzing things. And so I realized cannabis for that uh, really helped me calm down, um, whether it was pregame, postgame. Uh, but then it helps me relax, right? Uh, after a game, you know, it's, they say it takes about seven days or a week to fully recover from a football game. Well, once you recover, you got a whole nother game to play. You right. Know what I mean, so you're just compounding that. So, you know, cannabis really, you smoke, let's say you smoke a joint or you take some CBD or an edible post game, you're going to relax, which is going to allow your body to heal faster. Um, and, and cannabis actually... You know, and that's why the education is important. Our bodies have an endocannabinoid system, right? This is something that was just discovered a few years ago that everybody has an endocannabinoid system which works as receptors for cannabis. So when you inhale or consume cannabis, the CBD, the THC, the CBG, all these different things go to the pain or the source of inflammation and tries to heal it, tries to eradicate it where if you take an opioid, it's literally just blocking the brain signals from the pain. It's not necessarily trying to heal you and help you. Um, and so for me, I just understood that. And then I was in healthcare. So my degree is in healthcare administration. So I started studying healthcare while I'm playing football, while I'm giving, getting drugs from doctors, I'm getting numbing shots, you know, to numb pain. And so you, it doesn't take long to make, you know, to connect the dots. Um, and so for me, it's just, it's always worked as more so the pain, uh, pain reliever, um, calm you down, right? Give you a baseline, homeostasis. Uh, football, you get high, you get low, high then low. Um, so cannabis really gives you that kind of baseline, that even kill mentality. Um, so you don't get too high, and you don't get too low. And so for me, I see that as, you know, one of the biggest things for me uh, when I really started to pay attention to what cannabis was doing for me athletically um, in that recovery and preparation process. You bring up a very interesting point. Here you are, um, a college athlete, you then study healthcare, and then with yeah. healthcare, you find out that, well, you know, everything that we're actually putting onto the market may not be the best thing for us. Let's look at this natural resource over here that you guys have been trying to outlaw for all these different years, this is helping me better than any of the drugs that you put uh, on the market. Mm -hmm. Now we haven't touched on this all the way, but it, it was seemed to me that the reason why marijuana and the, the reason why you're able to say athletes and cannabis now is because now people are getting paid from this thing, mm -hmm. right? Now they're making all this money from this. This, this thing that used to be outlawed and now they've they've packaged it up they got the dispensaries they got their farms they did all the different things while all the people who used to have these things were deemed illegal they're now in jail and they basically did a switcheroo mm -hmm. do you think just looking at the current landscape of society do you think that wrong will ever be right or is it it's it's it's, it's messed up from from uh, from now till forever. Do you think African-Americans, Black people will ever get true equity in the marijuana industry? Um, I think we will, but I think we have to be willing to share our stories and speak up. 
there's not enough people talking, you know? So, you know, I know plenty of professional people that consume cannabis, whether right. you're a professional athlete, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a doctor, whatever, but nobody is sharing their stories. Nobody's truly speaking up about, you know, the benefits. You have some people starting, but you have a lot of people that are afraid to lose, you know, their current title or position uh, and things of that narrative. And so I think, you know, until we really start to come together, one, as a community uh, and go against, you know, the current system that's being built, um, you know, that's the only way, you know, to, to really get equity and I don't think, you know, I don't think we'll be able to get equity truly in the cannabis industry until black people get equity in America, period. You know what I mean? Like, because, mo I mean, obviously you can't get a loan to start a cannabis processing facility or a cannabis um, dispensary. So it takes hard cash, you know what I mean? Where if I wanted to start any business, most black people can't, when, when you start a business, what do they tell you? Oh, go to your family and friends, go to your, your immediate connection to start building capital. Well, you're telling me to go to a community that's already in poverty, that's already been hampered by, you know, the war on drugs. And so there's just so many different things stacked up against us. But I think we have to, one, go at it in a political way. Uh, we don't really attack the political system and structures like we should. Um, and so I think we need to create more political um, action committees, you know, that are directly, um, you know, specific. I mean, because I think cannabis equity could change the landscape of, you know, we talk about reparations, we talk about all these things, but the, the equity in cannabis goes far beyond just smoking weed. I mean, if you look at uh, hemp, for instance, you know, hemp is helping clean soil, it's helping clean the air, it's gonna be, it's gonna help with packaging and reducing our uh, carbon footprint, uh, getting plastics out of there, right? Uh, it's gonna help with clothing and all sorts of things. So it's not, you know, yeah, we could talk about smoking cannabis and all that, all we want to, but when you talk about the industry of cannabis, it's large, like it's gonna be one of the largest industries, you know, in our country. And so that's the landscape that I look at is through the lens of like, we need to become farmers again, right? Like, you know, we still, I think we still have the stigmatization of, I don't want to be a farmer because I don't want to be a slave, right? Like, but you're not a slave if you own the land, you're not a slave if you own the crop, you know, and you're, and you're producing it and you're selling it and you create a business behind it. Um, and you're able to hire people. Um, I say, so I think we have to, again, educate ourselves on what this industry is way more than just, hey, I'm smoking weed to get high, you know, this is, you know, this is wealth generation, you know, for, you know, for the next generation to come. And so we have to focus on agriculture. Like, you know, a lot of people aren't thinking about agriculture. But you know, if you grow a crop, and let's say, it freezes over, well, the government is going to reimburse you. Because yep. at the end of the day, the government needs you as a producer. Um, and so it's those little intricacies that I've just had to learn on my own um, that I want more and more people to get involved in and understand that this is much bigger uh, than just smoking weed, being high, being loud, you know, being silly, comedy and all that stuff. Uh, weed and cannabis is, you know, I think, a, a, you know, a trillion dollar industry when it's all said and done. Uh, and so... You know, for for me, it's just, you know, we have to we have to raise awareness, and that was a part of me starting athletes and cannabis to really give myself a platform uh, and others a platform to speak from that vantage point, but also to give me an end to you know saying, well, hey, you know, I don't have the money, and I don't even want to have the money right now to get into the legal side of cannabis uh, in terms of the plant touching side because of all the things that come with it, you know, lawyers you know, um, you know, losing crop, uh, you know, and just the stigmatization of it all right now is just so much, you're still going to be competing against all these multi-state operators. You know, you got venture capital companies and private equity companies now dumping, you know, money into it. So, you know, I'd much rather be on this side where I get to talk freely, openly, uh, and kind of express my thoughts in that way where I don't have to lead a whole organization um, 
where I could still kind of be open and flexible um, in that manner. But yeah, we, I mean, it, we got a lot of work to do. Um, and I just don't think it's enough people using their platforms, using their voice, creating spaces um, like yourself that you've created a space. So we just need more of that. Um, but, you know, in total, yeah, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a total group effort. You know, I think we should probably start, stop using, you know, uh, dispensaries, you know, and until they decide, hey, we're not going to, you know, uh, abuse this opportunity and we're going to make sure that equity is, you know, in place before we even open the market. Mm -hmm. You know, like in Ohio, we don't have any equity in our laws right now. So there's one black owned dispensary, I think, in Ohio, period. There's mm. one black processor in Ohio period, I believe. Um, I don't know of any um, uh, uh, cultivators that are owned by Black people. Ohio is one of the largest states. It's one of the most powerful states when it comes to politics. Uh, it's one of the most powerful states when it comes to logistics and transporting goods and services across the nation. Uh, but it's fairly quiet when it comes to people talking about what's going on here. You hear people talking about things on the East Coast and West Coast. Um, but we're in the middle of the country and it's a flyover state, right? Like nobody, everybody just talks about Ohio State, which by the way, is a multi-billion dollar football team and the players don't get paid. Players can't smoke weed. And so, but most of them are coming from poverty. Uh, and so it's just a lot of those things that I think only a lot of athletes can really speak to too. But, you know, I think a lot of athletes are, um, you have that kind of identity crisis, right? Like we're not used to, we're used to being muzzled. Um, and so I kind of felt that way. Um, so it's just, we got to speak up really and use our voices, use these platforms uh, and share what we know and be willing to learn, be willing to grow. Well, you created one of those, those platforms. And as you are having these uh, conversations and you're putting out uh, a different narrative and providing a different way of looking uh, at society. What do you think is the future of the athlete overall? Right now, just for context, we're looking at a situation where it seems like the players in the NBA have most of the leverage. Mm -hmm. It seems like uh, some of the players, along with other entertainers, have been able to leverage the NFL to pay attention just a little bit. I could be wrong. Please correct me if I'm wrong there. Uh, it's starting to come. What do you think is the future for the athlete overall? Uh, I think I think they'll definitely be able to use cannabis. Um, you know, I know the MLB uh, just relaxed their mandate on cannabis consumption and their testing policies. The NBA as well. I know the NFL has said they're going to start doing more research on it. Um, and I think obviously like the CTE has been a large thing to do with that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the NFL has to be like the, the leader uh, because one, the NFL is the most powerful American sports organization there is, you know what I mean? So I think the NFL really has to take the lead on it. You have a lot of guys dealing with, you know, they say like, I want to say like 90 something percent, 99% uh, of, uh, NFL athletes end up being diagnosed with CTE. Well, hmm. they can't determine CTE until you die. And then they could cut your brain open to see if it's actually a, a thing or not. Um, but, you know, we know that football is a very damaging sport just on the body. Like people get in car accidents and are traumatized for life, let mm -hmm. alone being a, a safety hitting a guy 220 pounds at full speed day after day after day after day, the wear and tear on your body, you know, is, it only expedites too. Like once you finish, it's not like your body just repairs itself. You know what I mean? It's a continuous decline. And that's what we see in a lot of guys. Um, so I think we have to take a very serious look at this because one, I think it'll help players stay, play longer um, because it'll help with injury prevention. It'll help with uh, recovery. Um, I think it'll help with mental health, uh, which a lot of guys are dealing with. Um, and so I think it's a no brainer, you know, but it's just one of those things. I think it'll be more so like they'll, they'll make it more so like uh, alcohol, you know, um, trying to brand it in that capacity. 
Um, but, you know, I just think it has, it's, it's still in its infancy stage um, because you just have people smoking it. Um, but there's way more than that. Like if you can give a, a, somebody a tincture on the sideline, right? A CBD tincture or give somebody a CBD edible, you know, on the sideline that might help them. You know what I mean? So I think, you know, we just have so much farther to go in the conversation, but, you know, I think it's, I mean, it's coming. I mean, I don't think it has any choice at this point. No, I agree. I, I, I don't know where it's going to head, but I definitely know there's about to be a major shift. Um, but I'm wondering also, because you mentioned about, you know, college athletes um, being part of this, these huge schools and billions of dollars coming through. And this may not be cannabis related, but it's definitely athlete related. How do we feel about, I, I think they came out with a, a, a decision, and maybe you can help me with this, where, okay, now you can make money off your likeness. I think I saw mm -hmm. something about that. What yeah, are your, working on it right now. What is your thoughts right now on NCAA and the rules that they have towards athletes? Um, and what do you think is headed? Uh being blatantly honest, after playing uh, Division One sports for five years, I think the NCAA is complete bullshit. Um, you know, at the end of it, I think a lot of these universities are bullshit, right? Because their their system is outdated. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, when you have kids not even playing sports that are hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, but then can't get a job. What are you what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like right. it makes no sense. Or you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, but now kids aren't even using their degree. So you just spent all this money for this four or five year experience to not even be utilizing your degree or can't even utilize it because it's outdated mm -hmm. because of technology and all these different things. And so I think we have to have a serious conversation about education, one, uh, and the institution of American uh uh, institutions of higher learning. Um, but what I've seen is since the, since these schools have been declining, they've used, they've leveraged sports, right? So there's been a, a, a steady decline in enrollment, a steady decline in money coming to the universities and all sorts of things. But then you see like in Ohio State where they're making billions and Ohio State's football is the biggest tourist attraction probably in the state. Mm. let alone i mean the city of columbus which is really not much right you know, there's not much uh entertainment we don't have a professional football team or basketball team we have a professional soccer team a minor league baseball team uh and a hockey team but we know football and basketball are the, the biggest sports um but people in ohio love ohio state buckeyes right and so most people didn't even go to the school but they'll have Ohio State flags, they'll have Ohio State t-shirts, and you're just like, you didn't even go to the university. But then again, like you start to see, oh, this is a business. You know, Ohio State football, they're hiring workers, you know, for event staff. Uh, you have corporations, startup corporations that market their products in the stadiums to get, you know, more consumers and, and customers off the backs of these young athletes. And then it's a revolving door. You have thousands of young athletes ready, chopping at the bit to get a D1 scholarship because they think, oh, if I get a D1 scholarship, go to Ohio State, I'm definitely going to the NFL. If I go to the NFL, I'm going to be a millionaire and I'm going to be set for life when that's not the case at all. And so nobody's really having these very blunt discussions of what, what is wealth truly, right? How do you truly attain wealth? Um, in our society. And if you look at even most of the wealthiest people in the world, most of them didn't go to college. So to tell somebody, hey, you got to you got to go to college and get your education to be successful and wealthy or rich in America is a lie. It's a boldface lie. And so but we're, we're conditioning everybody to do this, uh, whether it's an outdated message or whether your parents, you feel the pressure from your parents. And so I think we have to be truly honest about what's going on. And as Black people, I think we really need to start looking at the HBCU route. If you do want to go to college, it's time for us to really start to look at that and say, hey, I'm willing to sacrifice, you know, going to a bigger school that has Nike, that has, 
you know, a huge hundred thousand seat stadium to go someplace where one, I'm a, I'm a fall in love with my, I'm gonna be with my people. Um, two, you know, it's actually preparing you to, to build a team because most people are outcasts. Like at OU, we had 30,000 students. My freshman year, it was 400 black students. You take the football team, there's probably 60 guys on the football team black. You have the basketball team, probably nine or 10 of those guys, black out of 13, 14, girls and boys. So at that point, you got, a, that's a hundred of your 400 black students right there. You know what I mean? And so if you think about it, 30,000 students who are paying to go to school and then getting into the working force, we can't compete. But they're holding us up on this pedestal in sports. You can't get paid you you can't do the things that the other students are doing you know other kids are doing molly shrooms smoking weed drinking skipping class i mean you you name it that's what they're doing but then again you're telling these black kids that one you have to come into this environment that's foreign to you uh and we're expecting you to perform at a very high level uh without any support your parents can't make it to games your parents like I had teammates sending their Pell Grant checks back home so their moms could pay rent. Mm. You know what I mean? Like that's crazy. You know what I mean? So it's stories like that. And it was, it wasn't just one player. This was a lot of players um, where guys are, you know, are you get a scholarship check of $5,000. Nobody knows that, Hey, you need to go take to pay your rent first, pay your utilities first, do all this stuff first. And then whatever's left, that's what you could spend. But you'd have guys go spend their whole scholarship check and now they homeless. You know what I mean? So there's just so many different barriers and uh, we're not having those conversations. And one, I think a lot of athletes are embarrassed, right? Like being at a high, I mean, being an All-American and then getting cut by the NFL and then having to go into the working force isn't an easy thing to do, especially when everybody showed you so much love and support when you were doing this thing and now you can't do that thing anymore. And so it's just, you know, the conversation has to be had. We have to have a deeper conversation than just on the surface of what's going on because it's much deeper. Uh, Even athletes being able to get paid. All right. You can get paid, but are we teaching guys how to start businesses? So when, you know, you get paid, you know, you're not just taking that money and then getting taxed by the government immediately. You're, you're right. putting that money into an LLC, an S-Corp, a nonprofit. You're hiring somebody. Like you could, you could start legit corporations from just students at the university by hiring to be, you know, your videographer or your editor. Um, but we're not teaching those soft skills. You know, guys only have, hey, I know how to work. I know how to put my body to work, but I don't know how to talk to people. I don't know how to lead. I don't know how to build you know, outside of these, these realms where me, you know, I went to school with smart kids. Uh, my parents are very smart. So, you know, I had some of these things before I went into school. Um, and so I was already starting to think that way. Like the only reason I wanted to make the NFL, because I was like, yo, I just need 500 K, you know, to put, put behind a business, um, just to get me going. I know if I put 500 K in the bank in a business, they're going to give me a million dollars because, they like, yo, how did you, first of all, if you can make 500K and put that in here, most likely you're going to be able to flip this million, you know? Um, and so it's just those little concepts that we have no idea behind. And so like even telling guys you can be, a, um, a use your brand. I mean, there's a young kid who played for UCF, uh, I forget his name. Right. But he was basically using his image and likeness on YouTube to build a brand. Once he started making money, they came to him and basically was like, you know, you can't do this or you got to give your money back. Uh, and so, but he was studying communications at the time. So you tell a kid who's studying communications that he can't use his degree and then use his skill set as a kicker, I think he was, uh, and put all that together, package it, and then distribute it on YouTube and then profit off of it. Uh, and then you put him in a, in a position where he has to decide, man, dang, I've been trying to make the, uh, make division one my whole life. And now in the split second, I got to determine if I'm going to throw all of that away to do this. And so we, it's just a lot, you know? And so I think more athletes have to speak on it. 
and then, you know, we really got to go at these administrators of these universities, like Ohio State's administrators, they basically run the NCAA, you know, Gene Smith uh, is one of their head people, and he's, you know, one of the head people for the NCAA, um, but then again, like, how do you go, how are you going to do that? Like, if a kid signs with Adidas, but then goes to a Nike school, you know, you're going to force him to wear Nike and then go against his contract or how does that work? You know? Um, so I just think it's so much, uh, I think we need more sports leagues. Uh, you know, I think we need as black people, we need to open more sports leagues. Right. Uh, because again, we're still at the bottom of the totem pole because we're not creating the organizations. Uh, you know, we don't own the NCAA. We don't own most of these institutions. Uh, we don't own the yep. NBA, the, N, uh, the NFL. So we'll always be kind of, you know, at the mercy of who's ever controlling that narrative. And so I think we have to create our own sports leagues, uh, even amateur. Like, you know, we have enough businesses out now, enough tech companies that could literally, you know, fund, you know, amateur sports leagues and actually pay guys a decent living wage to play a sport. And they, you don't have to go to school. You know, you can... You know, we can teach you real life skills, you know, uh, and pay you. So it's a, it's a long road, but I think, you know, I'm happy that guys are starting to, you know, get there. I'm happy the name, image, and likeness thing is there. Um, I was on the um, NCAA video game. So I ended up getting a check for that from a lawsuit a couple years ago. Oh, nice. That was cool. But, you know, it's like, all right, how much money do you think, how much money do you think the EA Sports made, you know, off of that game? Of course. Uh, you know, and, and guys don't even get to be a part of that process. So uh, for me, it's it's a so they had problem. your likeness on on the video game. Yeah. So, you know, basically, you know, uh, they, they had, you know, where I live, my number, you know, height, weight. And then what happens is you have guys that go in and fill in like the roster so you can upload the roster. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I was on like two or three years. Um, so I ended up being like an impact player. It was after like my all American year. So, you know, I had, I had friends that I hadn't even really talked to that. I hit me up and be like, yo, I'm playing with you on the video game. <laughs> yeah. I just got an interception with you on the video game. So it's cool. You know, as being a kid, yeah. but now that I'm a businessman, it's like, yo, the exploitation right. is crazy. And we don't even know. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, right there in front of our eyes. Yeah, um, like, and I, I always found that too. to be interesting. Okay. And so like for me, like, all right, I was on like once you start playing, they start putting you on tickets or they start putting you on advertisements. Or one day I came to the stadium and there's a big banner of me right next to the coach. Ain't nobody asked me to do that. Wow. Like, ain't nobody pay me for that. But now I'm a signed model and actor. I get paid for my image and likeness to be in a commercial. I get paid to play football in a commercial. I'm like, yo, I was doing that for free and they were making millions of dollars. <laughs> it's sad. It's sad, but it's true. It's very true. Okay, so where can people go uh, to learn more about you, to collaborate with you, check out the content that you're putting out? Uh, let us know where we can go. Yeah, so you can follow me on social, uh, on my personal page, uh, just at Gerald Moore Jr., uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Gerald Moore underscore junior. Uh, you can also follow athletes and cannabis. Uh, we have a website uh, still fairly new. So we just got merchandise. We got a blog uh, that I'll be updating. Uh, so that's www.athletesandcannabis.com. Um, you can also on Twitter, uh, we're athletes cannabis. Uh, and then Instagram, where athletes and cannabis underscore solutions. I just changed that because I want to provide solutions and opportunities for, you know, athletes in the cannabis space. Um, and also, I just recently partnered with a good friend of mine uh, with UpliftNational.org. And Uplift National uh, is a for-profit company, but we're creating a community of black and uh, an inclusive community of black and brown individuals uh, helping educate people uh, in cannabis space, giving opportunities, jobs, uh, and, and put it pretty much a, a platform to help celebrate, you know, those in the cannabis space. So I'll be on all of those platforms. 
uh, YouTube, just Gerald Moore Jr. Uh, and you can follow me on there. A lot of my content, longer form content will be on there. I want to thank you again for coming through and having a conversation on Black, Black equity. What are some of your words of wisdom to someone who's listening to this episode? Maybe they're 16 years old and they haven't really been telling everybody that they've been uh, consuming cannabis, but mm. the world is opening up now. What advice do you give to a young athlete who's about to come into their prime, about to come into who they are? What is the best words of wisdom for them? Uh, my best words of wisdom would be to trust your instincts. Uh, one, trust your instincts. Two, uh, cannabis is going to be bigger than most sports leagues. So at the end of the day, even if you decide you want to play professional sports, at some point in time, that's going to come to an end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's high school, college, or pro, or you make it to the Hall of Fame, um, there's going to be life after ball. So always be preparing yourself for that moment. Don't get stuck in, you know, a lot of people, we tell these kids, oh, you got to focus on one thing or one specific thing. And then what's happening is you're seeing these athletes that have focused on this one thing, but then when that one thing is over, they have nothing to go to. Um, And so I would say, start to understand, understand your intangibles, like the skills that you naturally have. If you're a good talker, right, you can get paid to speak. You know, they don't teach us that, though. You can get, you know, you can get paid off of a podcast, starting your own podcast, starting your own brand. So really uh, start to focus on, you know, branding yourself uh, and educating yourself on the ins and outs of the cannabis industry. So I wouldn't just tell people, you know, come out and start telling people, hey, I'm smoking, I'm smoking, this all I do. You know, but I would say, you know, it's fine to consume, but understand that, you know, there's a time and a place. There's also, you know, much more to just getting high. So, you know, really start to dive into the industry and understanding the medicinal side of cannabis. Start to understand the plant itself. Start to understand hemp and agriculture and and find something that you think that you might want to get into in the cannabis space, you know, other than just consuming. So whether that's selling it, whether that's creating your own brand, whether that's creating your own strain. Um, you know, so really start to focus on that and, and just use your natural skills because we all have natural skill sets um, that can uh, be directly applied to the cannabis industry right where we are. You know, everybody thinks that you have to have some secret intangibles, um, but it's really just hard work. Just like, I mean, as an athlete, right? Like you got to put in the work, you got to train, you got to um, take care of your body. So really start to learn, you know, who you are uh, and, and then go for it. People are always going to talk about you. Um, if you're doing something different or you're doing something against the status quo, but, you know, really be gung ho on who you are and trust in those instincts and, and be smart. Obviously, you know, as a black man, I understand the stigma and as black people, we still have to understand that. Um, you know, there still is, if you, if you smell like weed, they can still pull you over. They can still arrest you. So, you know, we have to know that, right? And me as a leader, I understand that. And so I don't just put, I don't want people to be put in harm's way. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, we need to get more involved in policy and politics. So if you're 16, about to be 18 in a couple of years, when you can start voting, you need to start understanding the laws in your city and state, um, because we could use that youthful energy. We could use the creativity. We could use the social media savvy of these young kids to really help get the message out about cannabis. And so I think those are some of the major things that we can do uh, right now to really have a great impact. Gerald Moore Jr., thank you for stopping by Black Equity Podcast. Uh, Thank you for all the great work you're doing. The doors are open. Anytime you want to come back, if there's something that is a late breaking news story that involves athletes and cannabis and you want to come through and have the conversation, just let me know. Let's make it happen. Bet. I appreciate you, man. Keep up the great work. I love uh, what you're doing for the community. Uh, I mean, it's an inspiration to me. And so I think it's an essential what you're doing. So keep it up. Um, and, and most definitely now that we finally connected, you know, you know, I'm gonna be on here. So um, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Yes, let's keep it going. I'll talk to you again soon. Yes, sir. Have a good one.